We want to thank our praise and worship ministry for that tremendous time of, of worship. And I want to invite those of you who are in the Houston metropolitan area to come and worship with us. We have uh, live worship, 10 a.m. every Sunday morning as the Lord sees fit. And we would love to see your face in the place. We want to make you feel welcome, make you feel wanted, and give you an opportunity to experience hope in person. But don't forget, we're still going to be here. We still are going to be here to encourage you on the digital platform. And again, like us, love us, share us with family members and friends. Let them know that there's a word for them and there's never been a better time for hope. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on the preach word today. Father, thank you for today. I pray now that you would have your way that you would use this moment to speak to your people near and far, locally, nationally, and internationally. May your word go forth and find fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people that we would be more than just hearers of your word. Help us to be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So people started gathering. First, it was just one or two people. Then a little crowd started coming together. Some people had tickets in their hands. Some people had clothing on their arms. But they were all met with the same sign on the door of the dry cleaners. Gone out of business. There were people who had tickets, who had clothing in the store, who wanted to know what could I do to get my clothing. There were people who were there who had clothing on their arms, who were bringing their clothing to drop them off at the dry cleaners. And then the question was asked and it was talked about in the crowd, where would we take our clothes now? Because this was for many of them, the only dry cleaners they had ever used in their life. They came to a cross point, a crossroad, because they no longer had what they had become accustomed to having. And they didn't know where to go to get that service again. I asked myself the question in March of 2020, looking back now, did anybody miss us when the doors of the church building were closed? Did anybody say, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go to get uh, physical food? Where are we going to go to get uh, some kind of health care? Where are we going to go uh, to be encouraged? Where are we going to go? Where are children going to go for after school programs? Did, did they miss the church when the doors of the church building closed? See, the truth of the matter is, my brothers and sisters, as we look back over the last two and a half years, some 200 churches a week reportedly closed their doors. That's not counting the ones who maybe should have closed their doors. Some 200 churches a week closed their doors. And my question is, did anybody miss them? Other than the few folk who maybe went to that church, did the community miss that church? 
Did anybody in that neighborhood get in an uproar and said, what are we going to do now that this church has closed? You see, the truth of the matter is, many of our churches were not making a difference in the community that they met in. They were not making a difference in terms of the lives that they were touching. They, they, they were going through the motion, plenty of ritual, plenty of routine. But was there a sense that people said, I can't live without this church's ministry? Was there a sense when people said, you know what, if this church closes its doors, if this people do not come back, I am not going to be able to make it? Today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought, how to minister to make a difference. Uh, how to have a ministry that makes a difference. See, I believe when, when, when the people of God uh, didn't gather, somebody in the community that we gathered in should have missed us. Somebody should have said, man, where are the people of God? And in Acts chapter 3, we get a, a strong look at what it means to have a powerful ministry that makes a difference. Now, this is part one of what will be at least a two-part series, but let's get part one done first. Uh, Acts chapter 3 is an interesting uh, chapter because it, it follows the preaching of Peter, the 3,000 who came to know the Lord and the birth of the church, the birth of the church. And it's on the heels of this monumental miracle that Peter and John, two of Jesus's beloved disciples, are making their way to the temple, making their way to the temple. Now, I want to challenge you because here's what I've learned many times in the scriptures, especially when we're in the narratives or in the gospel Many times we assume the position of the person who is being ministered to, not of the people who are doing the ministry. And I believe we do the scriptures a disservice, and here's why. I believe the gospel has been written, including the acts of the Holy Spirit. I believe the gospel has been written as a Magna Carta for ministry action. In other words, when we read the gospel, I believe it is God's intention for us as disciples to identify with the disciples more than we are to identify with the people who were helped by the disciples. We're supposed to be people who are ministry agents, ambassadors, emissaries for God. In essence, we are to be his disciples on earth right now. And so the question is, will we learn the lessons that the disciples taught us so that we can be better disciples to a hurting world even right now? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, if you're going to have a ministry that makes a difference, you need to realize to be used by the Lord, you must make prayer your priority. To be used by the Lord, you must make prayer your priority. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This man is brought 
to the temple gate every day, a gate called beautiful. And the irony is he is brought to the temple gate called beautiful, but he is not in a beautiful condition. He is in a hurting condition. He is in a socially awkward and socially painful condition. This man was lame from birth. We're not told the cause of his lameness. All we are told is the condition that he is lame. He is brought there every day to beg, to ask for alms, looking for help. And the Bible says Peter and John are on their way to pray. Look at what the text says. It's the ninth hour. And Peter and John are on their way to pray. Here's what I need you to understand. Don't don't miss this. Don't casually read by it. Peter, on the heels of preaching, 3,000 souls come to know the Lord. Peter makes it a priority to pray. Peter makes it a priority to pray. It's the ninth hour. Now, every Jewish male understood the requirements of prayer. Three times a day, they were required to pray. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. The third hour, 9 a.m., the sixth hour, 12 noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Daniel 6, 10, read it with me wherever you are. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, see, the very fact that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray, they were practicing the prayer principles that they had learned from the Lord, it's clear that they were people committed to pray. If I ask you about your prayer life, uh, how systematized is your prayer life? I I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that most of us don't really pray like we should. The sincerity and the seriousness of our prayer is not there unless we're going through a crisis. But have we set aside regular times of prayer? Not, Not just a regular place, but but regular times, regular periods of prayer. Um, I I have a store that I go in, and when I go in that store, I always see uh, a worker by the name of Sam. On one occasion, I went into the store, and the owner was there. I spoke to the owner. I said, hey, man, where's Sam? Is he off? He says, no, Sam is praying. And I said, Sam is praying. He said, yes, Sam is praying. He prays every day. He prays multiple times a day because Sam is a devout practicing Muslim. 
and he prays regularly. And I thought to myself, how regular is the prayer life of those of us who say we know Jesus? Now, we've all heard the adage, little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, you cannot have a ministry that makes a difference in the lives of people if you are not a person committed to praying. Luke 18, verse 1, check out what it says. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We ought to always pray and never faint. So I told you first, you need to realize to be used by the Lord to have a ministry that makes a difference. You must be a person who makes prayer your priority. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to realize the Lord wants to work through you to change lives. If you're going to have a ministry that makes a difference, recognize that the Lord wants to work through you. Wherever you are, here's what I want you to say. God wants to work through me. Say it just like that. God wants to work through me. God wants to work through you to make a difference. Watch what the text says. Verse 1, Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. They're on their way to pray. Stay with me now. They're on their way to pray. And in the midst of going to pray, they run into a man in a painful situation. They run into a man who is in need of ministry on their way to pray in the temple. They run into a man. This man was helpless. He was crippled. He was unable to walk. He was unable to work. He was ignored by many. He didn't clearly have a support mechanism, a support team to, to take care of him. He had to fend for himself. He didn't fit in socially with people. He, he, he was lame and had been lame all his life. And the Bible says he was sitting there begging. We don't know how, how old this anonymous man is. We're not told his name. We're not told his birth date. All we know is he was crippled from birth, unable to walk a single step. Over the years, he clearly had been begging, asking for alms to the point that the text suggests he didn't even look up at the people he was asking for alms from. That's why Peter and John had to tell him, look at us. Can you imagine Sitting at this place, this temple gate called beautiful, the irony that you would sit there 
and ask people for help, ashamed to look at them, but your need was so great that you needed them to help you. And here's what's, here's what's really interesting. Think about this. He not only would have been neglected by people who would walk by, but he would be neglected by the people of God who would walk in. Think about it for a moment. How many people would walk by the temple every day and never look twice at him? But it's even more tragic that he would experience rejection at the hands of the people of God who didn't walk by the temple, but who walked into the temple. And in walking into the temple, they walked by him. I mean, it's one thing, brothers and sisters, to have somebody who doesn't know the Lord to not acknowledge you. But, but when you have people who say they love God and they love people, and they just walk by people. And can I tell you something? We have become so desensitized to hurting people that, that we don't even look twice now. Can you remember the first time you saw somebody holding a sign that said, we'll work for food or need help? Can you imagine? Do you remember how you felt initially the first time you saw that? Your heart probably went out. You were like, wow, man, that's crazy. Now we don't even notice the people who are holding the signs. In many instances, we just ride by. But, but what an indictment if it wasn't riding by somebody on a corner, but walking by somebody at the front door of your church. This, this man is at the temple gate. He's at the doorway, and they're walking in. See, here's what I need you to understand. If you're going to have a ministry that makes a difference, embrace the ministry moments even when they interrupt your already established and created agenda. Even if that agenda is around worship, right? We, we've got to embrace holy interruptions. We, we can't be so busy to get to worship that we run past God's work in order to get to worship. There's a sense that God wants to create a sensitivity in us to recognize we can't worship and miss opportunities to witness. We can't worship and miss opportunities to do kingdom work. God says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be so in a hurry to go pray that you miss a person who is in need of my power. But here's the other thing that I love. Uh, my friend, Dr. Jesse Williams, at the Convent Avenue Baptist Church, talks about Peter at this moment still dripping in the residue of the anointing that was on him at, at Pentecost when he shares and preaches and 3,000 come to know the Lord. But here, God challenges him to minister to one. One man, one man, no crowd, one man. Now, my brothers and sisters, listen, I've had opportunities to preach the gospel all over the world. 
I've never preached and seen 3,000 come. I've, I've preached and seen large numbers come. And I know large is a relative term, but I'm talking about 30, 40, 50 people come at the invitation. I've, I, I've, I've experienced that. And here's what I've learned. Our egos will get more excited to preach to the crowd than we will to minister to the one. As a matter of fact, we'll walk by the one to get to the crowd. Even though in reaching the one, we might reach more than we'll reach preaching to the crowd. Peter and John find that one man. Can, can you get excited about ministering to one? And, and let me tell you the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this today. We've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about making disciples. And sometimes you can make disciple in, it, not disciples in a group, like 10 or 15, you can disciple them. But sometimes your discipleship ministry is going to be tied to one. It's pouring into that one person. It's encouraging that one person. It's loving that one person. It's praying for that one person to help them become all that God wants them to be. Can you get excited about one? Because I submit to you that there's some of you who are looking over the one, trying to get to the crowd of the many. And you don't see an interruption as God's divine appointment. See, success is never determined by numbers. And I'm not saying God doesn't count numbers. God counts numbers. He has a whole book in the Bible named Numbers, right? So it's not that God doesn't value numbers. But when we talk about ministry, God is more concerned with our faithfulness as far as where we've been assigned than the numbers that we've been assigned to. God wants to see your faithfulness. But but here's what I believe the Lord wants you and I to get out of this. Remember, this is a post-ascension miracle. As a matter of fact, this is the first miracle that was recorded after the birth of the church. And here's what God, I believe, wanted Peter and John to be reminded of. And here's what God wants you and I to recognize as his disciples. First, that the power of Jesus is still alive. Even though the Lord had ascended, come on, remember what Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you another comforter. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will direct you. And when the Holy Ghost came, that same Holy Ghost that was on Peter when he preached at Pentecost is still living inside of him when he walks into the temple gate called beautiful. Jesus says, I I need you to know my power is still alive. But here's the second part of that. Not only do I need you to know my power is still alive, Jesus wants you and I to know he's still able to work through his followers. In other words, not only is his power alive, it's available and accessible by those of us who name the name of Jesus. Those of us who are his disciples still have access to that power. I wish somebody would holler right now. There's power in his name. 
Put it in the chat, somebody, if you will. See, when you see the desperate plight of men and women, you must decide what you're going to do. We had a lecturer not too long ago, a training here at our church, and a young lady, Elia Moreno, she said, we have a choice. We can either add value to people or take value away. How many of you know you always add value to people when you go to them in the name of Jesus? And if you can get them to believe in his name, confess his name, accept him as Savior and Lord, and then teach them how to call on his name, whatever they need to get wherever God wants them can be accessed through the name of Jesus. I know somebody's watching right now. This may not be new school enough for you. Oh, but there's power in the name of Jesus. And God says, because you are now the Lord's ambassador, because you are now the Lord's instrument, because you are now his emissary, because now you are his messenger, because now you are his representative, because now you are his witness, you have access through the name of Jesus. See, see, if you have a ministry that makes a difference, can I tell you something that you've got to realize? God has no feet but your feet. He has no hands but your hands. He has no voice but your voice. He has no arms but your arms. And so he wants you to have a ministry that makes a difference. But watch this. You can't have a ministry that makes a difference if you don't see people who are hurting in your midst. So the question is, how do you position yourself to have a ministry that makes a difference? And I'm getting ready to let you go, but listen to me carefully. You have to see what's going on with those around you. And this seeing, this seeing is not simply eyesight, it's insight that is divinely given so that you can see the knees not just on the surface, but God can give you insight so you can see, discernment so you can see the root of what many of the problems are on the surface. You can see the why behind the what. People always want to criticize the what, but they never think about the why. When you see the way God wants you to see, you see not with criticism, you see with compassion. And you don't see people and criticize them for where they are you look at them with compassion and recognize where with the help of the Lord they could be. Watch what Peter does. Look at verse 3, Acts chapter 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, that, that idea of looking at this man there was an intensity in this look. In other words, it wasn't a casual glance. It was a look that fixed attention and would not change the view until something was done about what they saw. They, they locked in on them. Peter could have looked away which is what many people do. They look away. Peter could have walked in and looked down and kept right on moving. But the text says, when the man called, even though he wasn't looking at Peter, 
Peter and John looked at him and then told him, look at us. What can you do to change the lives of people around you? Will you be part of a ministry that makes a difference? Will you create a ministry that makes a difference? Will you lead a ministry that makes a difference? Will you share a ministry that makes a difference? Will you pastor a ministry that makes a difference? Will you be part of a ministry that makes a difference? Look at Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Read Romans 15, 1. You sound good. Let's read it out loud wherever you are. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You have to decide because a ministry that makes a difference adds value to people doesn't take value away. And the value that a ministry that makes a difference adds is not external, it's internal. It's not a ministry that gives stuff. It's a ministry that gives worth and value helping people to discover who they are in Jesus Christ. There was an old song we used to sing some years ago. I think it's appropriate right now. I know it's not new school enough. I know it doesn't have a catchy enough tune for too many people, but the song used to say something like this. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody that they're traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a good man ought, if I can bring back beauty to a world uproar, if I can spread love's message as the master taught, then my living shall not be in vain. Chorus said, my living shall not be in vain. Oh, my living shall not be in vain. If I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain. And my brothers and sisters, shame on us if we get to the end of our journey and our ministry is judged to have been in vain. If your church closed, here's the question I want to ask you. Would anybody in your neighborhood miss it? Would anybody be protesting? Would anybody call you and say, Pastor, what happened? Where are you? We need you. Our neighborhood needs you. Our community needs you. Or would it just be one more business that has on its doors gone out of business. My brothers and sisters, let's make sure we're part of a ministry. Let's make sure we're making a ministry that makes a difference. Father, we thank you and bless you for today. I pray now, God, that your word has found fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people, that we would be more than just hearers. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us to be agents to help create 
and make and sustain a ministry that makes a difference. We thank you, we love you, and we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can help somebody as I pass along, Lord have mercy, then my living shall not be in vain. We, we work so hard to get that we don't realize the blessing in life is not in getting, it's in giving. And it's especially true when we learn how to give Jesus to somebody who needs him. If you're watching right now and you need Jesus Christ in your life, you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you need to understand if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. I'm so grateful that over the last three years, we've had tens of hundreds of people who have responded who have said yes to the Lord, who have said yes to being part of our church on a virtual platform. And we want you to know we make room for you as well. If you would go to our website and you click on the link that says, I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. I will walk you through via video how to pray the prayer of salvation and ask the Lord into your life. If you want to unite with our church and be part of the I Hope Church family, man, we would love for you to be part of our church family. Not only what you get via streaming, but we have two programs that we are doing. One is worship on demand, where you can watch services anytime, day or night. And we're getting ready to add a very extensive discipleship on demand because we want to help you grow in the Lord. For those of you who may never come to our church in person, we want to help you mature in your walk with the Lord and become all that God wants you to be, even on the digital platform. All of that and more is available on the digital platform. Now, if you'd like to worship the Lord in giving, listen, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. That word for cheerful in the Greek is the word hilario. It's where we get the word hilarious from. That our giving is to be done in a spirit of joy. In, a, in an attitude of festiveness, that we are happy for the opportunity to partner with God in the kingdom building work. Uh, we don't look at giving as a time of drudgery. We look at giving as a time of delight. And if you can't give that way, then I tell you right now, just keep your offering. Don't give grudgingly because God is not pleased with that. But if you'd like to partner with us in the kingdom building work, man, we would love to have you do that here with us. We're seeing people uh, come to faith, uh, whether it's through our Sunday morning services live on the digital platform. We're changing lives in our uh, programs, our diversionary programs, our food pantry. We're changing lives, funerals that we're doing in our community. Man, we're seeing people give their lives to the Lord at these homegoing celebrations when they face death for themselves. And we're seeing God do some powerful things in the lives of men, women, boys and girls. And it's all because of your generosity and your giving. So I want to say thank you to all of you who have been giving, all of you who have been supporting our ministry. And man, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But one day we shall be just like him. Now, our next leadership training is coming up on October the 8th from 8 to 12. 
So if you're in the Houston metropolitan area and you wanna be part of our leadership training, it's for all of our leaders, but we also open up the invitation to other members who would like to come and share with us. We're gonna be talking about how we minister and disciple the poor those who are in poverty. And we're gonna talk about different kinds of poverty, situational poverty, generational poverty, educational poverty, spiritual poverty. We're gonna look at these and talk about strategically how can we serve people who find themselves in this place. Don't forget, keep my pastor, uh, Dr. Herb Lust, keep his family in prayer and the church family, the Greater Exodus Baptist Church, nothing but love for my family in Philadelphia, thank you so much. And uh, man, we're just praying for them as they go through this, this trying time, all right? Last but not least, remember God is doing something wonderful in you. He's doing something wonderful in you. You might not see it, you might not feel it, but I promise you, if you step back and see the forest and not just the trees, you'll see God is doing something wonderful amazing in your life. Let's sing it together. God bless you until next time.